As I think most of you know, uh, Chris and I have been gone the last couple of Sundays. Nikki's been gone. Uh, she was in Bali for three weeks, and uh, Nikki noticed this morning, this is the first time we're in church as a family in like, I don't know, a month and a half or something. So it's good to be back. It's good to be back to normal. Uh, if you haven't been with us and you haven't heard, here's, here's kind of what happened. Uh, I was not planning on taking any weekends off through the summer, and, uh, and we've just had a bunch of disruptions, very sad disruptions, actually. Um, two weeks ago, uh, we found out that a good friend of Chris's, uh, her former boss and mentor in her career, had passed away, and, um, and, and, and he lived in Boise, Idaho, and Chris just felt this urgency to go to the funeral, and and, uh, you know, I try to be a very supportive husband, so I didn't ask questions, but I'll just tell you what was in the back of my mind. I'm like, you haven't worked with this guy for 30 years. Why are we going to a funeral in Boise for somebody you knew 30 years ago? And it turns out that uh, there was a good reason for us to go to the funeral. Uh, we stayed with Chris's mom and dad, of course, while we were there, and we did not know that Chris's dad would go to be with the Lord just four days later. And so uh, we had come home, uh, we were getting ready for Sunday, and uh, this was a week ago last Thursday, and we got the call uh, that, that Tito had passed away, and so we just loaded up everything, jumped in our car, and, and drove to Boise, and we, we've been with the family, uh, came home early this week. The funeral will be this Thursday in Boise, so we're taking another trip to Boise uh, this week. And so thank you so much for your prayers. Thank you for all the compassion and the, the notes and texts and messages and, and all the love that you've poured out on us. Um, there, there just aren't words. And even though Tito was 88 years old, we were not ready to say goodbye. And uh, the last time we saw him, he was doing well. We thought we had lots more time. So uh, makes you think, right? Make, makes you think about a lot of stuff. Um, is it okay if I just talk about my father-in-law a little bit? There are so many things, and, and I, I imagine in the coming months I'll probably tell lots of Tito stories because we've been repeating them as a family and going through pictures and all the things. But one of the defining features of Tito's life was about 30 years ago when he was about my age. He said yes to the call of Jesus and left everything to go full-time as a missionary. Who does that in their, in their later years, in their golden years? I, I am not in my golden years. Let, let me, I need to back up. I didn't, I didn't plan this story very well. I am not yet ready to be in my golden years. And I'm not going to West of Sixties camp either because I'm not West of... I'm, I'm, okay, that's a whole nother story. Okay, focus, Russell, focus. Anyway, when my father-in-law was about my age, he just, well, here's what happened. Uh, Chris and, and, and a team from her church in Boise in those years, it was just before Chris and I got married, uh, they went on a long-term, about a six-month mission trip to Vanuatu, Australia, New Zealand. It was an awesome experience. It was life-changing for Chris. And about a year later, they took another trip, shorter. And on that trip, Tito went and, and Chris's brother went. And, and it was just this extraordinary trip. And it just rocked Tito's world. Was your mom on that trip too, Chris? 
Yeah. Okay, so it, it just rocked their world. They got this taste for what it was like to participate in cross-cultural ministry and lead people to Jesus. They were literally working in the jungles of Vanuatu, people who had never seen white people, had never heard the name of Jesus, and they were telling them the stories of Jesus and leading them to faith in Jesus for the first time. And, and, and for Tito, it was life-changing. Actually, for Chris, it was life-changing for you as well, right? And uh, they came home, Tito and Judy began praying, and they're like, they're saying, I think Jesus is calling us to be missionaries. And of course, everybody in their lives was like, what are you talking about? Your grandparents, you should be preparing for retirement. What do you mean? But they left everything, and they moved to Mexico. Of course, Tito was Mexican, spoke Spanish fluently, and so they went and they trained in a couple of different cities in Mexico, and then finally they settled in Wymas. Uh, close to San Carlos, where we send missionaries with the Kunas ministry team uh, every year. And, and so they settled there in Wymas, and they began to plant churches, and they began to uh, disciple people and lead them to Jesus. And of course, in Mexico, the predominant faith is Roman Catholicism. And for so many Mexicans, the, Catholic, the Catholic faith has been mixed with native religion, and it's just become this big religious slurry that is very weird. Am I right, Juan Carlos? It, there's just a lot of religious funk in that area. And Tito and Judy were these shining lights leading people to understand who Jesus really is and, and experience life and freedom uh, in, in Jesus. And we were privileged to be able to travel to Mexico and, and be a part of their churches. And I've got a picture here of... Uh, one of their churches, this is the Wymus Church, and this was a long time ago. You probably can't figure out where Chris and I are. We're over there on the end. We were very young. And uh, this is my mother-in-law, Judy, and this is Tito here. And I think the Sunday we were there, this was the whole church. And this was, can you see how wide the church was? The whole church was about as wide as this section, and they just crammed people in. And let me tell you, these people worshiped, they loved God, they, they were on fire. And, and it was because Tito and Judy had the fire of God in them, and they were compelled to share. And, and this is what I've been reflecting on this last week. Tito came alive when he said yes to the mission of Jesus. And for all of you in this room, whether you are 88 or you're 18 or eight and didn't go back with all the rest of the kids, no matter how old you are, friends, it, it is never too late for you to join the mission of Jesus. Now, when we talk about the mission of Jesus, it's easy, especially when we're talking about missionaries like these two, it's easy for us to think, well, that's for people that Jesus calls and they, they go to a foreign country where nobody speaks the language and, and that's for other people to do. I'll send them money. Here's something that I want all of us to know and, and fully embrace this morning. The mission of Jesus is for every one of us and our mission field is wherever Jesus has planted us. I have said for many, many years, and I want to reaffirm it today, I am a missionary to Montanans. I, I am less a pastor 
than I am a missionary to Montanans. That is my identity. And I want to invite you this morning to join me on the mission if you haven't already. And I know many, many of you have that same viewpoint that you're a missionary to Montanans or you're a missionary. Jason's been on mission in Texas. Boy, Texans need Jesus, don't they, Jason? Okay. I speak the name of Jesus. Wherever I am, I speak the name of Jesus. And we are launching today into the second part of a series that we've called Empowered. If you've been with us the last five weeks, we've been talking about what it means to be empowered by Jesus and what empowered character looks like. Today, we're going to take a turn and we're going to go into this second part of our message series that'll go through the month of August. And and we're going to be talking about empowered people fishing. That's where we're going. And I want to start with two verses from the Gospel of Luke that have just arrested me. We've been singing this song about speaking the name of Jesus and in your name is healing, all these kinds of things. I've read these verses every week that I've taught uh, this last month and I want to read them with you again today. It's talking about these people that were flocking to Jesus and Luke tells us that they had all come to listen to the word and W there is capitalized so we understand the word is good so that they could be healed of their diseases and set free from tormenting demonic powers. How many of you know that it just takes a word from Jesus to be healed and set free from demonic powers? Do you know that? Okay. I thought you would all say amen. That was your cue. Okay. There you go. Verse 19 says, the entire crowd eagerly tried to come near Jesus to teach to touch him, to receive healing, because a tangible supernatural power emanated from him and healed all who came close to him. I can't tell you how many times I've read these two verses in the last couple of months, and it inspires me. And I'm asking the question, can I be so full of the presence of Jesus that I can help people be healed, and that I can help people be delivered from the demonic torment that they're suffering. Jesus, will you do it through me? Will you do it through Connect? Jesus, will you empower us to be everything you've called us to be? And here's what I'm saying again and again and again, and I hope it's sinking in. Jesus is calling us here at Connect to live and move in a fresh empowerment of the Holy Spirit. That's what he's calling us to in this season. And at the same time, the clear vision Jesus has given to us, and I've shared this several times since uh, about March of this year, the vision Jesus is giving us is to get back to the business of people fishing. People fishing. Now, if that, if that phrase is unfamiliar to you, what I'm talking about is the, the mission that Jesus has given to all of his followers to bring people to Jesus, to understand who Jesus is, to be healed by Jesus, to be delivered by Jesus, to be saved by Jesus. I call it people fishing because of of this this passage in Luke chapter 5 where Jesus said to Simon Peter, don't be afraid, from now on you're going to be fishing for people. 
This came on the heels of an experience in which Jesus told the, the, a couple of disciples, get in their boats, go out into the Sea of Galilee and put their nets down. And, and, and when they did, they hauled in the biggest catch of their lives, so many fish that the boats began sinking. And for me, for, for a number of years, this has been a metaphor for what Jesus is calling us to do. We are called to be people fishers. The old verses said, fishers of men. But uh, how many of you know, it's, he wasn't talking about just male men. He's talking about men and women. People need Jesus. And so we're going to be talking in this series about uh, being empowered for people fishing. And here's the question I want to ask in these next three weeks. I want to ask the question, are we fishing the way Jesus fished? Have you ever asked that question? Are we fishing the way Jesus fished? Is it possible that the reason we're not seeing more people coming to Jesus is because we're fishing using methods that Jesus did not use? Is that possible? And there's a metaphor here uh, you all know we live in the Gallatin Valley, and, and most fishermen in this area go out and they fly fish, right? They're using a lure. They're luring people to the hook, right? Or um, Tino, I saw Tino earlier. Tino's right there. Tino, you go, out, you go up to highlight. I've gone fishing with you only once. Um, and, and you bait a hook, and you drop that hook off your boat, and you're luring a fish to the hook, okay? He, he, here's the deal. In my experience, I think most Americans, most Montanans, aren't really interesting, interested in being lured to Jesus with the bait of condemnation or fear of going to hell. The method Jesus used was drop the nets. Drop the nets and bring the fish to Jesus. Now the metaphor breaks down, so don't press this too hard. But the question I'm asking is, do we need to think about fishing the way Jesus fished? One of the things I love about this story in, in Luke chapter five is that uh, when Jesus told Peter to go let the, the nets down in the deep water, he said, Jesus, we've been fishing all night. We've been fishing all night and we're not catching anything. And then he said, but if you say so, I will. And it was this obedience to do what Jesus asked him to do that produced the haul of fish. I believe that one of the things we need to learn about fishing is we've got to be obedient to what Jesus calls us to do, which means we've got to be hearing what he's asking us to do. But the other method that I am intrigued by, the method Jesus used in fishing for people was that he healed people. See, in, in, in Western Christianity, and especially in about the last hundred years, we've been really preoccupied with getting people to pray the sinner's prayer. If we can get them to pray a prayer and enroll in a class, then we're successful at people fishing. What I see Jesus doing is he begins with healing people. He healed people physically. He healed people spiritually. He healed people emotionally. 
And people were drawn to Jesus. Why? Because healing power was emanating from him. Guys, we need to be empowered by Jesus to bring healing. This is the method that he wants us to use, I believe. It's interesting, his disciples, in the early days at least, they expected Jesus to lead a political revolt. There's a whole bunch of Christians in America who are trying to lead people to Jesus through politics. My friend Dan Serdal always says, the kingdom of God is not going to arrive on Air Force One. (laughs) Jesus' methods were healing people. And so these next three weeks, I want to talk about three things that bring healing. Today, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share with you, this was all introduction, now I'm getting into my real sermon. Um, today, today, I want to talk to you about healing people through love and how Jesus empowers us to love people well. Next week, we'll be talking about being empowered to prophesy. Why is this important? You see, Jesus, when he encountered people, he had spent so much time in the presence of the Father that he knew exactly who people were and what they needed and what God was willing to do for them in that moment. That's prophecy. And you know what? One of the reasons that here at Connect we practice prophesying to one another is because every once in a while you're going to find that you're out in the marketplace, you're hanging out with family members or your coworkers or whatever, and all of a sudden if you're empowered by Jesus, he's going to give you a word, he's going to give you an idea, he's going to give you a scripture that is exactly right for this moment in time. You're going to speak that to that person and it's going to heal them. That's what a, a word from Jesus will do. So next week we're going to talk about being empowered to prophesy specifically to people who aren't believers in Jesus yet. And then the third week, we're going to talk about being empowered to listen. Here's one of the other problems that I see in, in, in our current Christian atmosphere, is so many Christians are doing so much talking and they're not listening. So we're going to talk about how we can be empowered to ask good questions and then listen so that just by listening, maybe Jesus could heal people through us, okay? So these three weeks of training, and and listen, these three weeks aren't necessarily going to be inspirational. These are three weeks of training, and it's for anyone who wants to be more effective at bringing people to Jesus, okay? Do you want to be more effective at bringing people to Jesus? Do you want to be more effective at people fishing? Then this training is for you. Now, when I was meeting with my team this, this week, they asked me, what does that mean, more effective at bringing people to Jesus? How do we measure? How do we know if we're successful? And, and that is, that, that's a difficult thing because not everybody that you you communicate with or share Jesus or prophesy to or just love in the name of Jesus, not everybody is going to receive what you offer them, right? So how how do I know if I'm successful? I was thinking this morning about that question and I was remembering that early this spring I began sowing seeds. Um, I like to grow all kinds of different things. We've got tomatoes and peppers and stuff. And, And But the seeds in particular that I sowed this spring were sweet peas. Okay, I love sweet peas because the blooms and they're fragrant and all that kind of stuff. And, and this year I thought I'm going to experiment. 
I have, I have these earth boxes. Do any of you garden in earth boxes? Okay, they're really cool because they're just these little boxes and you grow stuff in them. And, and so my sweet peas, I had three packets. I planted some in my normal little garden patch and then I sowed some seeds in the earth boxes. And, um, and they all came up. After a few weeks, they all came up and the ones in the backyard are growing and trailing up their trellis. And the, one, the ones that I sowed in the earth boxes, there were only a few seeds that came up, but they had these bright green vigorous growth and they're growing and I'm thinking man I'm going to get great flowers out of these seeds and then the heat in July came and I had forgotten sweet peas like their roots to be cool they like the sun they like all of the exposure but they like their roots to be cool so in a matter of about 10 days all the sweet peas in the earth boxes died but the ones in the backyard planted in the ground, man, they're just getting big and they haven't started blooming yet, but in the next week or so, I'm gonna have beautiful sweet peas. Now, how do I measure success? I probably sowed 50 or 60 seeds. I probably have 10 plants that survived out of 60. Was I a failure? No. So how do we measure success with people fishing? I think you're a success if you just sow some seeds. And if you sow seeds and sow seeds and keep planting and you water them and you hand them off to somebody else to water and, you, and, and we just keep gardening and we just keep doing the stuff, sharing Jesus. In the old days, we used to word, use the word evangelism. Remember that word? Scare the crap out of me. <laughs> People fishing is so much better. If we just keep planting the seeds, friends, listen, we're going to see something grow. We're going to see something take root, and we're going to see a harvest. While we were in Boise this last week, Tito died on, um, Tito died on Thursday, and we jumped in the car and drove right down, got there late Thursday night. And then Friday morning, we got up and... and uh, and Judy told us that they had ordered a new front door. They've got a, a beautiful house that the Lord has provided for them, and, but the front door was a solid door, and they have a long entryway in their house, and it's just so dark. And so several weeks ago, Tito and Judy had gone to Home Depot, and they found a door that has this big oval window with all this cut glass in it, and, and it's just so pretty. And... Um, and so they'd bought the door and they'd arranged for Home Depot to, to deliver it and install it on Friday and it turned out to be the day after Tito had died. And, and so um, the guy came that morning and Judy and Chris were sitting out on the bench in the front yard waiting for the guy to come. And Judy knew that his name was Jesse. The installer's name was Jesse. And, and so uh, Jesse started doing all the work to install the door and, and Judy said, Jesse... Yesterday, my husband died. And Jesse said, oh, I'm so sorry. Would you like me to come back another day? Maybe you don't want me here. And she said, no, Tito, would, Tito wouldn't want you to go. Tito wanted this door in the house so badly. And then she said, Jesus, Jesus, Jesse. <laughs> Judy said, so many J's, Jesus, Judy, Jesse. She said, she said Jesse, are you a Christian Complete stranger. Judy's in mourning. 
One of the worst tragedies in a person's life is to lose your spouse. But she's on mission. Jesse, are you a Christian? Jesse said, yes, ma'am, I am a Christian. Sunday rolled around and, and um, Judy's pastor called. His name is Pastor Dave Whaley. I love him like he's my brother. And Pastor Dave called Judy and said, Judy, it's okay if you don't come to church this morning. Judy said, oh, we're coming to church. It's what we do. And he said, well, listen, Judy, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to save a parking space for you behind the church. You come in the back door and you can sit in my office until it's time for church to start because I don't want you to be upset by all the people that, that are going to just overwhelm you on Sunday morning. She said, nope. Pastor Dave, we're going through the front door and we're going to walk slowly through the crowd because that's what we do. So we marched our butts up to the front of the church and we sat on the front row. And when church was over, there was a line all the way down the aisle for people that wanted to talk to Judy and hug her and kiss her and pray for her. That's what being on mission looks like. That's what sowing seeds looks like. That's what being effective at people fishing looks like. Boy, I got lost in that story. So for these three weeks, I want to train you for people fishing. And I have, a, I have a, an alternative reason why I'm bringing these three weeks of training at this time. I mentioned earlier that Catapalooza is on August 25th. Let me tell you a little bit about Catapalooza. Catapalooza is an event that happens this time of year, every year at the MSU campus. It's a big fair on the mall of the MSU campus in which vendors, businesses, churches, all kinds of community people come and they set up booths and they welcome incoming students at MSU to, to experience everything Bozeman has to offer. And uh, we, we've participated for a number of years now, and we set up a booth. We usually have a really great location. We get to talk with lots of students. And what we'll be doing this year is the same as last year. We'll be serving uh, cold brew coffee and donuts, because that's what we do, is donuts and coffee. And uh, we'll be giving those away to students. And, and I'm just really excited about it. The, the event is on the 25th, which is a Friday, and it goes from just 10 to 3. They've shortened it, so it's just five hours. But we'll have an opportunity to engage with students, and, and I'm just really excited about that. And, and so um, here, here's, our, here's really our vision for Catapalooza, and it's, it's up here on the screen. I just want you to know what we're going to be doing. First of all, we're going to be welcoming students to Bozeman. That's what every vendor on the mall is doing, welcoming students to Bozeman. And secondly, we're going to be inviting them to attend Connect Church because we know that we will run into some Christian students who are looking for a church. We'll be able to share with them and, and, uh, and help them in that way. But here's the component that we've really never effectively engaged. This year, and this is why these three weeks of messages at this time, this year, 
I want our connectors who are going to be there serving at Catapalooza, I want us to do our very best at people fishing in addition to all the other things. We're gonna welcome them, we're gonna invite them, and I want us to intentionally engage in seeing if we can help people receive the healing of Jesus at Catapalooza. I wanna invite you to be a part of this team. I wanna invite you today to begin praying, Jesus, would you use me at Catapalooza to maybe do a little people fishing? Now, if you're like me, does that scare the crap out of you? Me too. But I'm gonna be there, and we're gonna see what Jesus does, okay? So let's jump into the first topic uh, today, which is empowered to love. Here's what I want you to know. Jesus loves well. Jesus loves well. When I was growing up in church, how many of you grew up in church? I'm just curious. I've never asked that question, I don't think. Okay, looks like about half of us, maybe more. When I was growing up in church, and, and let me tell you, I've been in church my whole life, but my, gr my growing up years, I really struggled with feeling like God hated me. When I say Jesus loves well, I know that with everything in my being. But when I grew up, I was in a, in a religious environment, and, and, and I'm thankful for, for my, my religious upbringing, but I got some ideas about God that, that weren't really congruent with what I understand Jesus showing us in, in the Gospels. I grew up understanding that the fundamental nature of God was his holiness. Some of you were raised this way too. And because God was holy, he could not tolerate sin. He couldn't be in the presence of sin. He was re sin was repelled by the holiness of God. How many of you were taught that when you were growing? And this was the fundamental nature of God. So listen, as, as a young person, as a teenager in particular, I was so aware of my own sin, my own faults, my failings, the things I did wrong. And, and I just felt like God hated me because he was holy and I was so not holy. And I can remember as a young adult, I don't know, I was probably 19 or 20 years old, when I came across a paragraph in, in the book of Hebrews in the New Testament that rocked me because it presented a vision of God that was so different than I had absorbed from my religious being. It's up there on the screen. And it's talking about Jesus. It says, he understands hum humanity. For as a man, our magnificent king priest was tempted in every way, just as we are, and he conquered sin. This is talking about Jesus, right? So now we draw near freely and boldly to where grace is enthroned to receive mercy's kiss and discover the grace we urgently need to strengthen us in our time of weakness. I remember reading that paragraph for the first time and having this aha moment when I realized Jesus was a single man just like me at the time. And Jesus was tempted with all of the same temptations that I was. 
You see, I was so hard on myself that I even felt condemned by my temptations, not just my failings, but my temptations. I felt if I'm tempted, if I have these thoughts, I must be a really, really crummy person. And God can't possibly love me. All of a sudden, this, these, these two verses from the Bible opened my mind to understand, no, Jesus understands me, he gets me, he's experienced the same things I've experienced, and he brings me in to what? Where grace is enthroned. I receive a kiss of mercy, and I find grace. All of a sudden, my mind begins expanding, and I start understanding, and, and, and over the years, as I've dived deeper and deeper into the life of Jesus and the ministry of Jesus, I discover that the fundamental nature of God is not his holiness, it's his love. Jesus said, God so loved the world that he gave his only son, so that anybody who believes in him won't which means being rejected and, and sent out of God's presence, which I thought was my daily experience. God so loved the world. John 3.16, John 3.17 says, he didn't come into the world to judge the world. I, I mean, this completely changed, changed my understanding of who God is. God is love. And God loves well. Jesus loves well. Well, Jesus is God. Now we're getting into Trinity stuff and that's way past the scope of what I have to talk about today. Jesus loves well. So now I want to take you to John chapter 13. Jesus is teaching his disciples and he says to them, so now I give you a new commandment. And isn't this interesting that the commandment from Jesus isn't how to be more holy. The commandment from Jesus is Love each other just as much as I have loved you. For when you demonstrate the same love I have for you by loving one another, everyone will know that you're my true followers. Jesus is calling us to go people fishing. And in order to do it well, we have to love well, like Jesus loves. Hey, you might be here today Maybe you haven't even yet experienced Jesus' love. What I want you to know today is if you're here for no other reason than to hear the message, Jesus loves you, I want you to know he really loves you. But he's calling us to love well in the same way that he loved well. That's what Jesus passed on to his disciples. Then, if you know the story of Jesus' life, he, he, he mentored these disciples. He sent the apostles out. He died. He rose from the dead. He told the disciples to wait in Jerusalem for the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. This all happens in Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2. And then he goes to be with the, with the Father. And the Holy Spirit breaks out in Acts chapter 2. And, and the whole room is filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. I hope every one of you have experienced that power because it's so important for today. But then this really unfortunate thing happened. Jesus' disciples became so much more intrigued and enamored with the power of the Holy Spirit than love. Love kind of took a, a back seat 
to the power and the manifestations. How do I know that? Well, because we've got this letter from the Apostle Paul that he wrote to a church in the city of Corinth. Corinth is this city uh, down here on, the, on this peninsula, uh, Greece. Paul had traveled all over this, this, this part of Asia, planting churches. One of the churches he planted was in Corinth. A whole bunch of people came to faith in Jesus, and then they received the outpouring of the, the power of the Holy Spirit. But they got real selfish and self-impressed, and they were, oh, they loved speaking in tongues, and they loved prophecy. They loved the whole thing. And, they, and it just became a big self. Every time they got together, it was just selfishness everywhere. So Paul wrote this letter. It was only about 20 years after Jesus had, had gone to be with the Father. He writes this letter that is in our Bibles. It's called 1 Corinthians. And he's telling them about the power of the Holy Spirit. And right in the middle of his teaching is this famous chapter. We call it the love chapter. Let me, let me read it with you here. Paul said, if I were to speak with eloquence... In earth's many languages and in the heavenly tongues of angels. And yet I didn't express myself with love. My words would be reduced to the hollow sound of nothing more than a clanging cymbal. In other words, I can speak in tongues all I want, but if I don't love people, I'm just noise. Not that cymbals are noise. I was listening to your cymbals this morning, they were awesome but you also love well. Just saying. Verse two. And if I were to have the gift of prophecy with a profound understanding of God's hidden secrets, and if I possessed unending supernatural knowledge, and if I had the greatest gift of faith that could move mountains, but never have learned to love, then I am nothing. And if I were to be so generous as to give away everything I own to feed the poor and to offer my body to be burned as a martyr without the pure motive of love, I would gain nothing of value. Here's what we need to hear this morning, friends. Get this today. Love is more important than speaking in tongues. Love is more important than spiritual gifts. Love is more important than generosity. Love is more important than martyrdom. And don't get me wrong, I love speaking in tongues. I love connecting with God through my prayer language. I love when God speaks to me and I can share prophetic words with people. I love being generous. Oh, I love that. I don't love being a martyr. It stops there. But as important as all those things are in my life, do I love people? Paul said you're just making noise if you don't love people. If you're taking notes this morning, I, I want you to write this down and I hope you will really think about this this week. People fishing begins and ends with love. People fishing begins and ends with love.
I, I want to share something with you, Connect, that has made my heart very happy. About a month ago, we had a young man visit Connect. And I think he's been here every, every Sunday until I haven't seen him today. Uh, but he came in and, and nobody here knew him. And, and he just made himself really at home. And he was, he was helping up in the sound booth. And um, he, he just jumped in with both feet. And when the service was over, he met me right up here at the front. And, and he, he said, I want to talk to you, Russ. And I'd met him before church. And he said, Russ, I just, I just want you to know, I'm in the process of coming to Jesus. And he said, I want you to know that this is the first church I have ever been to that I felt so loved and accepted. Hmm. Connectors. You're doing so good. Is that awesome? Later that week, I got to meet with him and he shared with me the journey of his life. And he's tried all kinds of things. I, I mean, he's trying to fill a hole in his life that only Jesus can fill. And as we're embarking on this mission with Jesus of going people fishing, listen, there are people coming to us that need to be healed by Jesus. We just have to have our eyes open and we need to be ready to love. And we're doing it. I know a bunch of you saw that movie, Jesus Revolution, a few months ago. When Chris and I watched it together, we felt like this was a prophetic word for our, for our day, that Jesus is going to do it again. And it's starting, friends. Will we be ready? And, and as, as proud as I am that we had one young man that said, man, Connect is awesome, I know that we can probably still grow. And I, and I know that sometimes people come in to connect and, and they slip in and they slip out and nobody sees them. Listen, we can people, we don't, we don't have to go to the MSU campus. There's people fishing right here. Do you know that today, this morning, there's people that need to be loved? Here's what I want to talk about. How do I cultivate love? This is where I want to just teach you some principles that will help you develop love in your life. Here's number one. If you want to cultivate love, you've got to change your mindset. Hollywood tells us that love is an emotion. The Bible teaches that love, agape love at least, is an action. And we have to change our mindset to understand that love sometimes means doing good things for people who I don't have any feeling for. I can love people that I don't particularly like. And I've shared with you in past weeks that there are some people in my life I am struggling with the emotion of love. But if I change my mind to understand it's an action, not a feeling, I can still behave lovingly towards people that I don't like. Here's number two, and it's closely related to the first one. 
If you want to cultivate love, you do loving things even when you don't feel the emotion of love. My favorite definition of love, many of you have heard it lots of times, but if this is new, you might want to jot it down. This is the definition of love, my very favorite one. I choose to do what I know benefits you. Say it with me. I choose to do what I know benefits you. A lot of times when I've heard people repeating this back to me, they say, I choose to do what benefits you. And they've missed the what I know. You have to know somebody before you can really choose the actions of love very well. This is why our third teaching in this, in this series, two weeks from today, is going to be so critical. We have to develop the habit of listening well so that we can love well. If we don't pay attention to what people are saying, we will never be able to love people effectively. I Say it with me again. I choose to do what I know benefits you. Here's the third way to cultivate love. Practice. Oh, we love practice around here. Practice loving unlikely people. The best way to cultivate love is to find somebody that you wouldn't normally love and just do something nice for them. If you got a cranky coworker, bring her flowers. I don't know. Who is it you're struggling with? Is there some practical way you can bless that person as a means of practicing? Here's why practicing is so important. It's the same kind of thing. You know, I could, I could sign up to, to um, run the marathon in the next Summer Olympics and show up on run day, and, and I, I'm not going to get two blocks down the road <laughs> if I haven't practiced and trained, Right? We practice and we train so that when the moment of crisis comes, we're ready and, and, and we already have muscle memory. I can practice loving unlikely people so that when I'm in a, in, a, in, a, in a moment of frustration, a moment of conflict, I have practiced loving people so, so that the first thing that comes out of me isn't hate, it's love. Get what I'm saying? Practice. And then... I saved the best one for last. If you want to cultivate love, we've got to seek God for a change of heart. This is really the most important thing. You and I have got to be empowered by God's spirit to love people. This is something that comes from the presence of Jesus living in me and radiating out. And it comes from you and I sitting in the presence of God and letting him change my heart. So I've got a strategy. I've got a strategy for these next three weeks as we're focusing on empowered people fishing. I'm going to ask you to join me for the next three, three weeks on a fast. I have never done this in the history of Connect Church We've been together for almost 16 years. We have never fasted together. But um, Juan Carlos, you challenged me a few weeks ago. I shared with the church, I think you were gone this Sunday, I shared, I shared with you that Juan Carlos in one of our teaching team meetings said, Pastor Russ, that's terrible. That's, I, shouldn't, I shouldn't mimic you. He said, Pastor Russ, 
do we practice fasting anymore or, or is that out of fashion? Whew, it went clear to my soul. I want to invite you to join me on a three-week fast seeking God to empower us to make a difference on the MSU campus on August 25th. And let me just share with you quickly the reasons we fast. Here's the first one. When we fast, it changes your vision. Fasting changes your vision. You, you gain a vision for the kingdom mission instead of a vision of self-gratification. And, and maybe if you're unfamiliar with fasting, let me just define what it is. Fasting means, fasting traditionally, most often, is going without food, and instead of eating a meal, you spend time in the presence of God instead. Okay, so, so you, you could choose to fast a lunch, one day a week or every day in a week or, or whatever you decide to do. And, and instead of taking the time to fix lunch, eat lunch, clean up lunch, you would take that time, instead of eating, self-gratification, you just spend time in the presence of the Lord. That's what fasting is. And when I'm asking you to join me on a fast, I'm, I'm just gonna leave it up to you how you fast, how long you fast, and what you fast. You could fast food, you could fast social media, you could fast, um, oh, you could fast your phone. Whew, that would be hard, wouldn't it? Whatever it is that takes a chunk of your time, would you set that aside for a period of time in the next three weeks and instead spend time with God? The, the first reason is because it changes your vision. The second reason is this. Fasting prioritizes your time. You will have the opportunity to spend more time in God's presence instead of whatever that thing is that takes your time. For me, I love to eat. I'm going to be fasting some meals. I'm not going to do a three-week total fast. I do not have that kind of spiritual strength yet. Juan Carlos, you can pray for me. This is hard. I'm going to be fasting some meals. And the reality is, I eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner every day, and sometimes a snack. And I think about what I'm gonna eat. I prep what I eat. I cook what I eat. I eat what I eat, and I clean up what I eat. Well, except Nikki does most of the cleaning up. <laughs> She's great with cleanup. I'm gonna take some of that time, and I'm just gonna sit in the presence of God. I'm gonna pray, I'm gonna seek God, I'm gonna ask him to give me a heart of love for MSU students. Would you join me? Changes your vision, prioritizes your time. Here's the last one that I want you to know. Fasting is not a means of manipulating God. Fasting isn't, God, I'm gonna suffer, so you give me a Rolex. <laughs> okay. You're not trading your food for something God is holding out on you for. You're seeking the presence and the transformation of God. You're going to connect with God and you're going to find transformation comes just by sitting in his presence and talking with him. That's what fasting does. Make sense? And so each week in these three weeks, I'm going to give you a, a, a fasting focus. 
And the fasting focus for this week is just very simple. Would you write this down in your notes? Jesus, empower me to love people better. And as you're fasting, would you just make this your repeated prayer? Just put it on repeat. Jesus, empower me to love people better. So again, I want to invite you for the next three weeks, you decide. You, you, you just take this to the Lord and, and you decide what you want to do in terms of what you want to fast and how, how often you want to fast. Pray that prayer. And then I'm going to give you one more homework assignment, okay? This came to me yesterday and I just feel like this might be the Lord speaking to us. If you have time this week, would you watch the movie Jesus Revolution? It's now streaming so you can find it. If you haven't seen it, make this a priority. If you have seen it, watch it again this week and see what Jesus says to you. Watch how that church, that little Calvary Chapel church in Costa Mesa, California, how they loved unlikely people and ask God to turn your heart to love unlikely people in your life, okay? So fasting, watch a movie. I never give you homework. This is fun, isn't it? Don't you love training? Yes. It's on Netflix. Is it free on Netflix? Awesome. Too bad I just deactivated my Netflix account. <laughs> I think it's on Amazon Prime too, but it's probably not free. Okay. All right. Now, why don't you put your things aside? And before we go today, um, I'm not going to have the musicians come back but we're going to practice. Before we go today, I want to ask you to practice loving somebody here in this room. And before I give you specific instructions, would you, would you pray with me? Take this, um, take this posture again of receiving. Would you do this? Just right where you're sitting. Jesus, today... We invite your empowerment, your empowerment to love. Jesus, today, I, I invite you to show me somebody in this room that really needs love and then give me the supernatural ability to love them well. Jesus, change my heart, change my mind, Help me to do loving things to anybody who needs healing in this room and as we spill out into the streets and into this community, Jesus, empower us to love people with the same kind of healing power that you carry in you.